0: Welcome to Counterspin, your weekly look behind the headlines. I'm Janine Jackson. This week on Counterspin, Amazon, the seemingly insatiable megacorporation, still refuses to acknowledge the union at its Staten Island facility known as JFK8, even as the National Labor Relations Board has rebuffed the company's attempt to overturn that union victory. Now Amazon has suspended dozens of JFK 8 workers who refused to go to work after a fire that left the air smelling of chemicals and many feeling unsafe. Ten of those suspended were union workers. The reality that workers around the country are, first of all, simply suffering too much to not feel a need to fight however scary that is, and then many of them taking to hand the existing tool of worker organizing through unions and outside of them, that's something that corporate media can't plausibly deny. They can underplay this movement or patronize it or try and confuse it by presenting it as emotional and irrational But with tens of thousands of nurses, teachers, timber workers, nursing home attendants walking out around the country, the notion that this is somehow not meaningful, not about fundamental questions of human rights and not worthy of the most serious, thoughtful attention journalists can provide, that should be hard to maintain. We'll talk with John Logan. He's been reporting on organizing in media-friendly corporate behemoths like Amazon and Starbucks for Jacobin. He's professor and director of labor and employment studies at San Francisco State University. That's coming up, but first a quick look back at some recent press. Three years ago, describing an Australian white supremacist charged with massacring 49 people in New Zealand, the New York Times wrote, quote, On his flak jacket was a symbol commonly used by the Azov Battalion, a Ukrainian neo-Nazi paramilitary organization, close quote. Now incorporated into Ukraine's military structure and rebranded as the Azov Regiment, the Azov Battalion's founder urged Ukraine to, quote, lead the white races of the world in a final crusade against Semite-led Untermenschen, close quote. Skip ahead to October 4th, 2022, and the New York Times begins its story, quote, Commanders of Ukraine's celebrated Azov Battalion have held an emotional reunion with their families in Turkey, Ukrainian officials said, honoring the fighters released from Russian confinement last month as part of the largest prisoner swap since the start of the war, close quote. Nary a hint in this piece, which includes a photo of a joyful commander hugging his wife, of the ugly far-right politics of this unit. From neo-Nazis to celebrated honorees, what a difference a war makes. You're listening to Counterspin, brought to you each week by the Media Watch Group Fair. Between well-paid people telling you that the solution to high prices is unemployment, and the news of the latest weather catastrophe... Separated by several pages from the news about how fossil fuel profits are doing really well, and then the story of the latest outright violation of basic human rights by police or by the courts, It is very meaningful to see news about how another group of Starbucks baristas or of Amazon warehouse workers has got together and decided to fight for better working conditions and dignity for themselves, and to encourage, by extension, all who witness their example. Worker organizing, inside or outside of unions, is the counter-narrative and the counter-reality to the corporate control and co optation we see everywhere around us. It matters very much how these efforts are portrayed in the press. Joining us now to talk about that is John Logan. He's professor and director of labor and employment studies at San Francisco State University, and he's been writing about organizing within the corporate world for Jacobin. He joins us now by phone. Welcome to Counterspin, John Logan.
1: Hi, very glad to be on. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Listeners probably know that organizing has been happening, but we hear maybe less about the lengths or depth we might say that super powerful, successful company owners are going to to resist uh, workers getting together to represent themselves. Well, meanwhile, we do see publicity for those companies all day and all night, you know, in ads and social media promotions and supposedly earned news by outlets that present a secret menu or a hidden deal as a news event. So maybe let's start with your recent piece for Jacobin on this. Starbucks and Amazon have been violating actual law, according to the National Labor Relations Board, in their fight against workplace organizing. Yes, it's not just distasteful. They're actually violating the law. Right.
1: You know, an important thing to say straight off is the law itself is very weak. So there is so much that Starbucks and Amazon can do to fight unions that is legal under the National Labor Relations Act. All sorts of things would not be legal in other advanced democracies, but, you know, are legal in the U.S. But they're not just doing that. They're doing things and doing them again and again that are clearly unlawful. And, you know, in the case of Starbucks, the National Labor Relations Board currently has over 350 open unfair labor practice charges against Starbucks. And you know, that's a truly a stunning number within a relatively short period of time. We're talking about a campaign that really only started in August of last year in Buffalo, in upstate New York, and for the first few months really until December, January, was only in Buffalo and then subsequently spread nationwide. The only comparable thing that I can think of is the UAW dispute with Caterpillar in Mm -hmm. the the 1990s, where eventually there were over 400 unfair labour practice charges, allegations against Caterpillar. But that campaign took place over a seven- or eight-year period. So Starbucks, you know, is really just operating as if the law does not apply to it. What happens is that, you know, Starbucks violates the law in Buffalo alone. The regional director in Buffalo issued a complaint against Starbucks in May saying that Starbucks had committed almost 300 individual violations of federal labor law in Buffalo alone in a three-month period leading up to the first elections in December. The company is alleged to have fired over 100 pro-union baristas it has closed union stores in Buffalo, in Ithaca, New York, in Seattle, in Portland, and unionizing stores and other places. But this is a remarkable union campaign that's now spread to over 240 Starbucks stores around the country have voted to unionize. But there's no question, if it were not for this sort of rampant, unlawful union-busting practices, it would be 2,000 or 3,000. It would be far, far more stores. The one thing that Starbucks did that had the greatest impact is in April, it announced that it was going to increase wages and benefits, but only for non-union stores. If you had voted to unionize or if you were engaged in organizing, you would not be getting these new benefits and wages. And Finally, it implemented these in August. Later in August, the NLRB said this was unlawful. This was clearly designed to create a chilling atmosphere and to discourage workers from becoming involved in the nationwide organizing campaign. What did Starbucks do? It said, we think that is wrong. We're going to fight it. And then in September, it announced yet another Wave of increased benefits that apply only to non-union workers. And, you know, with Amazon, Amazon is still contesting the result of the historic victory of the Amazon Labour Union in Staten Island on April 1st. Amazon is still not accepting that result. The NLRB recommended that Amazon's election objections be dismissed in their entirety, I mean, they were the most frivolous objections, Mm -hmm. many of them. They were all thoroughly investigated. They were all dismissed. Amazon has said, we don't accept that. It now goes to the regional director. Regional director will undoubtedly agree with the hearing officer. Amazon will then appeal it to the full board in Washington, D.C. because it's objections and not a complaint. They can't appeal to the federal courts immediately, but they can simply refuse to bargain on the basis of they don't accept the election result, then the union has to make a complaint. The NLRB would come out with a bargaining order. Amazon can say, we're still not bargaining because we don't accept the election was fair. And so the board would have to go to the courts to enforce the bargaining order. All of this will take months, if not years. Right. And Amazon and Starbucks know that time is on their side. Time is not on the side of pro-union workers. So Andy Jassy, the new CEO of Amazon, has already said this is going to be a really long fight over the election result, not over anything else, but over accepting the election result for workers very clearly voted to support the Amazon Labor Union, and he said, you know, the NLRB is not going to rule against itself, meaning they're going to take this all the way to the courts. And so, what that means, and you know, I apologize for going on. I appreciate it. What it means is that Amazon and Starbucks can win by losing at the NLRB. I mean, simply because of their resources, because of their determination to fight to the death, because of their uh, ability to appeal and delay at every stage, even if every decision goes against them, which almost certainly it will they can still undermine these union campaigns simply by using months and months and years of delay.
0: Well, it's exactly as you've reported. Momentum is an important force uh, for folks who are doing any kind of social activism, organizing momentum, feeling that you've got the wind at your back. And so these deep pockets, this is where that money comes in to just delay and delay and delay. And there's an expression that we hear uh, from corporations sometimes, or their lobbyists, that they talk about skating where the puck's gonna be. In other words, the law is not on their side and they know it, but they are confident in their ability to either draw it out long enough or to actually get their legislative, you know, arms at work in bending the law. So, in other words, they can just de facto live the conditions that they want to live, while workers are really on the edge and are really, in the example of Amazon that you cite, they've won this election and yet they still have to go to work knowing that management hates them and is trying to yeah. take away what they've won. I just, to bring it to media, I feel like if media would tell the story from a different perspective, it would change a lot.
1: Yes. And, you know, there has been some good media coverage of these stories. I mean, the problem is it's all very fragmented. Yes. You know, we need stories that explain the Amazon Labour Union story and the Starbucks Workers United story in their entirety and the myriad of unfair labour practice charges of unlawful behaviour that they have been subjected to by these companies and how that makes it virtually impossible for pro-union workers to get a fair choice as the law demands that they get when they're up against these companies. As you said, you know, Amazon has 150% turnover rate in many of its warehouses. An entirely new workforce every nine months or so is deliberately trying to drive pro-union workers out of the work place, Starbucks is doing the same. Is firing them, is reducing their hours, is you know introducing new scheduling policies that are targeted in a way that pro-union workers will be driven out of the workplace. So you know they're delaying recognizing unions, they're delaying bargaining with unions, and all the time the retaliation against the union busting doesn't get better after the union wins. The union busting actually gets worse after the union wins. Uh. So it's just a very clear indication that they think the choice on whether or not a union comes into Amazon or Starbucks should be made by them, should be made by Howard Schultz, the CEO, interim CEO of Starbucks, or Andy Jesse, the CEO of Amazon. The law says it's the workers who are supposed to decide. But they don't accept that. You know, they think they should ultimately make the decision. And they have even said so explicitly in an interview with The New York Times. Howard Schultz said that he would never engage, never, that was his word, he would never engage with the union because the customer experience would be undermined if a third party as he sees it, we were to come into the stores. But the law doesn't say, I don't accept that the customer experience would be undermined in any way. But even if that were true, which is not, even if it were true, the law says that's not the point. The point is, it's the worker's choice, whether they want union representation. It's not his choice. It's not to do with the customer experience. It's what to do with the workers want. And a lot of these Amazon workers and Starbucks workers have stood up for their right to unionize heroically, but you shouldn't have to be a hero in order to exercise what is supposed to be a federally protected
0: right. Absolutely. Well, let's get into Howard Schultz's rhetoric just for a minute, you know, because these companies, they have image management as a fully funded department, right? Yep. 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 So you would hope that reporters would have their guard up, you know, recognizing mm-hmm. that. So you hear workers described as partners, and why would you bring in outside agents to disrupt our relationship, you know, never mind that the union busters never come from the place where the organizing drive is. They're always brought in on a plane, but you know, okay. Uh, It's all such horse hockey. It's such gaslighting about what the actual worker-owner relationship is about. And my feeling is that corporate media propagate that Line, frankly, when they not just report earnestly on owner rhetoric about partners, but also when they report these issues as though workers and consumers were different populations with different interests. You know, right. that seems to me a yep. fundamental failure of reporting here.
1: Yeah, no, I totally agree. And, you know, and if you look at Starbucks, Starbucks is spending tens of millions of dollars in this anti-union campaign. It's using the country's largest, and in fact the world's largest, so-called union avoidance law firm, Littler Mendelssohn. You know, scores of littler attorneys all over the country you are know, trying to undermine workers' right to choose a union. It's also using the world's largest PR firm, Edelman, to help with its anti-union messaging. And as you say, you know, to talk about these unions as third parties, I mean, of course, we know, you know, that's never true. It's, it's just always the line anti-union corporations have used. But in these particular campaigns, it could not, be more clearly nonsense. I mean, Amazon Labor Union didn't exist two years ago. It was formed by Chris Smalls, who was sacked for protesting inadequate COVID safety precautions. The lead organizers were all Amazon workers inside the GFK8 Staten Island facility. The workers are the union in a very, very real sense. The union is not an outside party. Same thing with Starbucks Workers United. The reason that union, which is affiliated with an established union, Workers United, but the only reason it's had such incredible success is because of the dynamism of its sort of intrepid worker organizers, Starbucks workers who are organizing their own stores all across the country. And so, you know, you could not have clearer cases where you have these multi-billion dollar corporations spending tens of millions of dollars on trying to prevent workers from exercising what's supposed to be a federally protected right, Whereas on the other side, you have workers inside warehouses, inside coffee shops, talking to each other and talking about the benefits of having an independent voice and how that's necessary to get respect and dignity at work. But as you said, to have any stories in which you give Starbucks and Amazon, any kind of credibility in their anti-union statements in these cases is just truly ridiculous. Because we know what's happening here. We know that these are grassroots organizing campaigns, workers who earn 15 17 $18 an hour, maybe at Amazon, against multi-billion dollar corporations who will spend whatever is necessary and who have unbelievable expertise, sophistication, and a total disregard for the law. They will do anything they can. If they can break the union legally, they would probably do so. But they don't care. Their only objective is to keep the union out. And so if it takes committing, in the case of Starbucks, hundreds and hundreds of violations of federal labor law, The penalties for doing so are absolutely meaningless. So they will do that. That is so clearly the case with these campaigns.
0: And yet in the face of that, and that's where I want to go to, because it seems to me that just more and more people are just not falling for that bluff. Yes. I wish media would take seriously this kind of nice job you got there. Shame if anything were to happen to it. But in the face of that and in the face of the news coverage that says, Amazon, for example, is a genius company, you know, that's capitalism doing what it should. And that separated, as you call out, separated from a story that they might also do about, you know, how Amazon workers have to pee in a jar, you know, but it's still a separate story from isn't Amazon a fantastic example of what we want from companies. Nevertheless, Support for labor unions is growing. Union election petitions are growing. Strikes are growing. People are ceasing to fall for it. So let's maybe end with that, just like it's happening anyway, and then maybe your thoughts about how journalism could help rather than hinder.
1: Well, you know, we don't even need journalism that's cheerleading for the unions. We just need journalism that explains what happens, you know, the incredible pressures that American workers are subjected to when they try to exercise their legal right to form a union at companies like Starbucks and like Amazon. And, you know, the entire labor movement does owe a great debt of gratitude to these workers involved in these two campaigns. Yes. Because as you said, it has spread you know to Trader Joe's, to REI, to Apple retail stores, to Chipotle, to other places, to Home Depot, we heard most recently. But what it does is it gives people an education in how our labour laws don't work. More people are engaged with the issues and has been true for decades. As you said, in the most recent Gallup poll on 71% of the American public approve of unions, even higher numbers among young workers. And that, despite the organisational weakness of unions, you know, despite the fact that unions only represent 6.1% in the private sector, the last time unions had that level of public approval was 1965, but unions represented almost 30% of the workforce back then, And so, you know, we see it very clearly amongst young workers, overwhelmingly young workers approve of unions, but they have really, really low rates of union membership. And that's because young workers work overwhelmingly in what I would call young workplaces, places like Starbucks, places like REI, places like Trader Joe's. And those workplaces are overwhelmingly non-union. And because of the weak laws, and particularly because of the incredibly strong employer corporate opposition, it's very difficult for them to form unions in those workplaces. But as you said, despite that, we now have a wave of organising throughout the country. People are taking inspiration from the union victories at Amazon and at Starbucks. They're thinking, we should do that in our own workplace. We don't just have to quit. We can stick around and organise and try to win respect and dignity at work. And so a lot of these campaigns will not be successful because they're all David versus Goliath stories. There's another Amazon Labour Union election in Albany next week. I'm hopeful but we don't know what the outcome will be. But it would be a remarkable win again if they were to win in Albany. But this despite that you know something historic is changing you have to, as you said the growing number of people talking union amazon workers starbucks workers museum workers nonprofit workers gallery workers tech, online media workers it's growing More people are paying attention to labour issues. Something has changed as a result of the pandemic. We don't know what the legacy of these particular campaigns is going to be, but I think there's very good reason to believe that the labour movement as a process, you know, process by which people get together collectively to win dignity and respect at the workplace, these movements that Starbucks and Amazon has shown still a great deal of life left in that process.
0: All right, we're going to end on that note. We've been speaking with John Logan. He's professor and director of labor and employment studies at San Francisco State University. You can find his work on 21st century organizing at jacobin.org. John Logan, thank you so much for joining us this week on Counterspin.
1: Thank you for having me on. It was a pleasure.
0: And that's it for Counterspin for this week. Counterspin is produced by FAIR, the National Media Watch Group, based in New York. If you'd like more information about FAIR, you can check out our website, fair.org. That's also a place to find previous Counterspin shows and transcripts, or to sign up for our Action Alert Network. The show is engineered by Alex Noyes. I'm Janine Jackson. Thanks for listening to Counterspin.